Welcome to Market Corner Conversations, sponsored by Foresight Health. This is where outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Market Corner Conversations is Foresight Health's regular podcast series. It explores the intricacies of market-driven health reform. We dig deep into the U.S. system's structural inefficiencies. We explain how its artificial economics and distorted business models rob the American people of the great health care they deserve. We identify and talk with innovative companies that are reinventing healthcare delivery by being better, faster, cheaper, and more customer-friendly. We have a special program. We're joined by Dr. Toby Cosgrove, the former president and CEO of the Cleveland Clinic and now an executive advisor. Dr. Cosgrove started as a cardiac surgeon, rose uh, to become the chairman of the Department of Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery at the clinic before becoming the clinic CEO in 2004. The clinic prospered under Toby's leadership. The brand name is familiar to all, but it expands a vast and global footprint. Uh, it includes nine community hospitals, 15 family health and ambulatory centers, uh, clinic operations in Florida, Las Vegas, Toronto, Abu Dhabi, and London. And beyond the footprint, Cleveland Clinic has been transforming the way we receive care, expanded to a nationwide cardiology network, uh, has pioneered market-based solutions to deliver better care at lower cost, uh, championed wellness, became the first organization to appoint a chief wellness officer, uh, and dedicated enormous resources to improving the wellness of its workers and patients in addition to their, their health care, undertook a major cultural change to reinvest the clinic in a patient's first philosophy. All of that while growing the bottom line, advancing medicine, advancing innovation, advancing clinical discovery. With all of that, we greatly welcome Dr. Toby Cosgrove to our program. Toby, thank you for joining us today. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's been a fascinating, uh, for me, journey uh, filled with a lot of surprises. I grew up in a little town in upstate New York and uh, eventually uh, did my training at Williams College, University of Virginia, and then subsequently finished my uh, training at Mass General and Boston Children's Hospital. Um, I, when I finished, I was unemployed, um, and for a long time until I suddenly got an invitation to come to the Cleveland Clinic and join their cardiac surgery program, which I jumped at, and it was a, it's been a marvelous experience uh, doing that, and then I had uh, the very unexpected opportunity to be CEO. My predecessor, Dr. Floyd Loop, um, announced that he was going to retire, and I was asked to throw my hat in the ring, and all of a sudden I went from the operating room to the boardroom and from reading uh, the New England Journal to reading uh, Harvard Business Review, and I had to go out and buy clothes, so I was presentable. <laughs> wow. As you took, uh, took the helm at the clinic, uh, what, were your, what were your initial impressions, any surprises, and how did you initially uh, want to make your, your mark at the clinic? Were there, there any big things that you wanted to accomplish right out of the gate? Well, first of all, the, big, the biggest surprise was how big it was. I had no idea. I, most of the hospitals I hadn't seen because I'd been locked up in a cardiac surgical operating room. So it was a huge surprise uh, to me and a, a tremendous learning experience. 
as I hadn't been to business school and I was pretty much unprepared for what went on. I spent about six months uh, trying to thinking about what I really needed to do. And one of the things I examined was why we had a hospital, why we had a clinic, why we were all employed. And at the end of the day, I concluded there was only one reason, and that was for patients. And that's when I came up with what re- subsequently became our mantra, and I think where the guiding uh, principle for the organization is putting patients first. And everything sort of flowed from that, uh, moving into institutes away from an organization that was organized around uh, uh, physicians and their uh, guilds of surgeons and medical doctors, et cetera, and then uh, putting emphasis on uh, patient experience and then uh, wellness for the employees, et cetera. So it was a, a journey and probably the only thing that I can really contribute any of this to is putting patients first. Well, maybe we could dig into that a little bit. I've, I've read um, Service Fanatics, which uh, discusses the process uh, through which the clinic uh, – Revitalize the putting patients first, but you know, saying it and doing it are are two different things. Uh, I'm wondering, Toby, if you could talk to us a little bit about the multi-year program that you undertook to not only talk about putting patients first, but in the minds of every single employee, uh, have them not only um, walk the t- or talk the talk, but actually walk that talk, uh, live the truth, and speak the truth. Well, it probably all started with an embarrassing uh, story for me when I was at the Harvard uh, Business School in front of a class. A girl uh, stood up and said, uh, Dr. Cosgrove, my father has mitral valve prolapse, and we know you've done a lot of these, um, And but we decided not to come to you because we heard you don't have empathy. Uh, so that was a shocker for me, and so I thought about it a long time and thought about what I had done as a surgeon. And I had essentially spent all my time trying to reduce the morbidity and mortality cardiac surgery and had realized, like most surgeons do, that cut well, sew well, do well. And so I spent most of my time in the operating room concentrating on finding the procedure. And I'd realized that I, uh, patients uh, who used to have double-digit mortality rates were now having single digits, and now they wanted uh, to have a personal relationship with their uh, physician. So that was the start of it. And we stopped to think about what is really quality in healthcare, and it's the clinical experience, it's the physical experience and the emotional experience. And ultimately, we, what we had to do is concentrate on very hard on the emotional experience. And we took all of our employees uh, offline, and we uh, put them around the table and we talked about uh, what is it, uh, what's the Cleveland Clinic experience. And when they came out of that, we said, uh, gave them a badge that said, I'm a caregiver. And if that was true, whether you're a doctor or you were uh, working at um, in, the, in the cafeteria. And as a result of that, that changed uh, their, everybody's uh, sense of why they're there and it improved the morale of the organization and the engagement of the organization that made a big difference to the patient experience. Wow. Um, how, how, could you, how could you measure that or how could you tell that? There must be just hundreds of, of patient stories of, of kind of before and after. Um, we measured it like most people do with Press Ganey mm-hmm. and we saw a marked improvement in our scores. Um, and 
I had a funny story happen one day. A group of people from IBM were there, and they went off to lunch, and uh, they came back from lunch to, to where they were working, and they said to the person who they're working with, 13. And the guy said, what on earth are you talking about? And they said, 13 people along the way asked us if they could help us find our directions. The employees were really uh, turning out to try and help patients even in the corridors. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. So everybody um, was part of the healing mission of, of the organization. Uh, you know, often the, uh, the frontline workers, the security guards, the kitchen staff, the maintenance people, uh, cleaning people are, are the ones that have the most interaction with, uh, with patients. So the fact that uh, they were part of this really speaks to your vision and, and what it really means to put patients first. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, and Toby, the first time I saw it was, uh, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago when you were uh, speaking at the first U.S. News and World Report uh, conference in D.C. Um, the clinic produced a, a video called, uh, I think it's just called the Empathy Video. It's a, uh, a series of pictures of, of patients and, and um, clinicians and caregivers walking through the hospital with um, pictures, um, bubble pictures of what they're, what they're thinking or what's just happened to them. And they, they range from, uh, you know, a little girl saying, uh, just, say, just said goodbye to dad for the last time to a doctor who's just discovered uh, they're going to have their first child to um, a patient frustrated about waiting too long in the, uh, for an appointment. And uh, what it what it showed was the uh, the reality that operates on the surface is often belied by um, what's really going on in a patient's life. And I, I don't know how many millions of times that video has been played, but it's it's one of the most effective vehicles I've ever seen for um, communicating the important mission and the privilege that that health systems have to treat people, but also the responsibility to meet them where they are. So. I, I don't know if you want to just say anything about that, but um, that is the epitome, I think, of your putting patients first and the ability to communicate what that means every day in every hospital and clinic in the country. So. Well, that's been a very effective tool, and the story behind it is that I believe in telling stories. And with each uh, speech that I gave, I always told a story, and I give an annual state of the clinic address. and. Um, my video team put that together uh, all in-house, uh, all with uh, no professional actors or anything. And uh, it has now been viewed, uh, had more than two, two million downloads uh, all over the world. It's, and it's, it's a very powerful emotional piece. Yeah, it really, really is. So uh, remarkable. And, and uh, we all owe you a debt for, for putting that together. Um, let's let's shift a little bit and and talk about the commitment to wellness. And you've been uh, very articulate talking about how America has a sick care system, not a not a health care system. And uh, I even use this quote in my book that the state of our nation depends on the state of its health. And you did several things, both internally and externally, to shift focus uh, away from just the the treatment of of disease and illness and injury um, to thinking bigger picture about uh, wellness and uh, 
preventing disease, keeping people out of the hospital in the first place. So I wonder if you could just talk to us about about that and and uh, your your pride in, in being able to ch- really drive that conversation. Well, I thought that first of all, if we're going to be a healthcare organization, we ought to be a model of what a healthy organization was. And so we started out by banning smoking on our campus and our parking lots and on our and then I uh, made a rather unpopular move. And certainly, I took a lot of grief for it in the press of uh, deciding to stop hiring smokers. Uh, so we test people coming in, and if they turn out to be positive for nicotine, we give them smoking cessation, and they can reapply. And that includes everybody, including doctors. So then we did, went to the food in the cafeteria, and we took the sugar drinks out. We, t- we I personally wheeled the fryers out of the kitchens. Um, the, we changed some 40 changes in the food in the cafeteria. And then we offered people incentives to exercise. We gave free curves, free weight washers, free access to our gyms. We gave people pedometers. Um, we had financial incentive to get their steps in on a regular basis. Um, and over a period of time, we lost about 500,000 pounds. Um, the additionally, we then move and really, basically, we didn't know what we were doing when we started. So we sort of gradually uh, went a step at a time. I wish we had been smarter when we started and did it all at once, but we weren't. Uh, and then we began to looking after people who had chronic disease, and so people who had uh, were smokers, obesity diabetes, asthma, hypertension, hypercholesteremia, if they entered into disease management, they got a reduction in their co-pays for their um, insurance. Um, and over time, uh, we've found out that we have both a healthier population and it costs us less. Um, and at the time that we started, uh, we were having a 7% per year increase in our uh, expenses for uh our premiums, uh, and uh, then it gradually went up uh, and slowly leveled off and then went down, and last year it went down 2%. On top of that, we now have a healthier population. We only have 5% of the population who smoke. Um, we have, uh, interestingly, had a um, 18% reduction in our sick days, um, and um, the population who entered into disease management uh, had a 20% reduction in emergency room visits and hospitalizations. So it's uh, saved us somewhere around $250 million in costs in our healthcare delivery to our 100,000 um, dependents and employees. So it's been an interesting journey. The most recent thing that we did um, is we decided to do random drug testing of all of our Cleveland Clinic caregivers. Um, and, um, and we did it for two reasons. One, we didn't think someone who was on drugs uh, should be taking care of a patient. And secondly, we think it is uh, a disease that needs to be cared for. And if somebody tests positive, uh, we put them into our rehabilitation. So it's uh, been pretty aggressive. Wow. So healthier workforce, more productive workforce, lower costs, more consistency, um, really a model for how companies can create cultures of wellness and uh, 
benefit both uh, both their employees and the bottom line. Do you, do you think corporate America uh, companies in America can replicate what what the clinic was able to do? Yeah, I think this is a, is a big opportunity. If you look at uh, reform in healthcare, everybody is really now turning to government and expecting them to lead the way. But half of uh, healthcare is paid for by uh, employers in this country, and I think employers have been slow to engage in um, the healthcare, uh, really for a lot of reasons uh, until it got. Uh, to be as a big part of their expenses. And now I think you saw the first of this um, beginning to turn with the most recent uh, announcement by Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos um, attempting to approach the, the cost of health care. And I, I, I view this as a good sign that, that private markets are beginning to realize the importance of that as both for their employees and uh, for the cost. And I think ultimately it's going to be cost-driven, and I hope that the private sector begins to embrace this as an opportunity. Yeah, well, you're, 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 singing, uh, <laughs> you're singing to the choir here, preaching to the choir. Uh, we, uh, we are very passionate that uh, the system will transform more through bottom-up, evolutionary, market-driven private sector initiative than, than top-down through regulatory change and, um, you know, uh, we use the phrase uh, demand-driven change, superhero results. So uh, if corporations start changing uh, what they demand from the healthcare system, that they want uh, not only good care for when their employees and their families are sick or injured, but help with creating a, a, a healthier environment, watch out. Um, what you know, as you kind of look out over the horizon, how much disruption could a movement of that sort uh, create for the existing healthcare infrastructure, which, as you know, is is largely dependent on uh, fee for service payments for uh, surgeries and other clinical and diagnostic activities, and and hasn't been as focused on driving better outcomes and prevention and managing chronic disease, getting at the root causes of disease through better mental health services and so on. What kind of havoc could this wreak on the system as a whole? Well, I think we're seeing a, a big change that's coming up right now coming to the private sector. Everybody now is recognizing that there's a tremendous portion of the health care uh, that is, makes up the GDP. And there's an awful lot of uh, companies that are startups that are trying to affect this. And if you just look at the number of uh, companies in healthcare, and particularly digital, uh, that are coming out of Silicon Valley, it's overpowering uh, the number of them. And, and there's going to be great ideas and there are going to be things that are changed. And I think that those will get embraced and the good ones will uh, surface and begin to have major change. I think there's also a, a major change that's about in how we deliver health care, how you deliver it, where it's going to be delivered, who's going to deliver it, uh, and the diseases we're going to teach and treat. And if you think about, you know, where we're going to uh, treat it, it's going to be less and less in the hospital and more and more outpatient and in the homes. Uh, who's going to deliver it? Well, uh, right now we have half as many physicians' assistants as we do doctors in employment, and I think one day that they're going to be equal in numbers, 
helping out and people practicing at the top of their license is uh, I think the diseases, how we treat the diseases are going to be less and less invasive as far as surgery is concerned. Um, and, um, you know, the uh, it is going to be a, and the diseases we're going to treat um, are going to be more and more chronic diseases and less and less acute diseases, and those will be treated um, not in hospitals but in outpatient facilities. So I see a, a huge shift coming, and that will be exacerbated by the payment reform that is coming as we move to value. Right, right. Well, you sound positively excited by, by this vision. Um, I am I'm thrilled by the vision. I think one of the things that we uh, have generally been un, unappreciated is the explosion in knowledge that there is in healthcare. When the Cleveland Clinic was formed almost 100 years ago, uh, the total amount of knowledge in healthcare doubled every 150 years. Now it's doubling every 73 days. Uh, and we need uh, all the help that we can get uh, as caregivers to be able to manage that uh, huge influx of uh, data in increasingly sophisticated ways and I am very excited about the potential for AI um, to, and machine learning to bring to uh, healthcare and help us make better diagnoses and uh, better treatment plans and recognize new patterns of disease, which we've never seen before. I've seen some few, a few things both in this country and overseas in the last few days that have been absolutely stunning. I'm excited. Yeah, I can tell. You know, that's that's one thing that we've been trying to change the healthcare system for decades. But you're, you put your finger on something that um, uh, I don't think people fully appreciate is the amount of uh, smart money, venture capital, and private equity money that's flowing not only into healthcare services but into provider-based services, and how they these these emerging companies are trying to find their niche. Um, their piece of the ecosystem where they can uh, deliver better outcomes at lower costs or better customer service, uh, greater transparency. It's, uh, how, how do you see this sort of really fundamental challenge to the existing operating model challenging some of the, um, some of the established institutions? I'm thinking of academic medical centers, um, uh, some of the, the, the very large uh, concentrated hospital-based uh, systems, insurance companies that uh, get paid a lot of money for doing claims, admit, largely claims administration. Um, how, how, how do you think the existing order will, will adapt? Well, I think you're starting to see it already. I yeah. think you're starting to see consolidation happening. Consolidation has been happening across the, uh, the providers now for some time. I think you're starting to see it happening across all of the uh, various aspects of the healthcare delivery system, uh, and uh, you're going to see it, uh, and you certainly as you've seen it in insurance, you're seeing pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. um, you are uh, going to see more and more of this. The real question is, how do providers get scale so they can get the efficiency of coming together for scale? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a hard bite uh, because there's a lot of, um, ego and uh, history and pride in individual organizations, and I think yeah, we've got to find a way that we can get past that uh, and uh, achieve the efficiencies which we need to. I mean, stop and think about it. Why should every 
uh, hospital have to, or every healthcare system, have to invent everything itself. I mean, think about right. think about right. the cost, for example, of cybersecurity. I mean, how many hospitals you think of the five thousand in the United States who have the intellect and the investment in cybersecurity to protect um, the, the their information? I mean, you've seen big hospital systems already being yeah. held up yeah. and closed for ransom, and I can't imagine that uh, hospital, every hospital in the country can possibly ma- uh, manage that sort of uh, efficiency. And the same goes on for uh, revenue cycles, purchasing, um, the uh, maintenance of equipment, uh, the... Uh, all of the things that support us, whether it be the IT aspects of it, the lawyers, um, there has to be a way that we can uh, come together and um, drive efficiencies uh, to make us better and better. But ultimately, it's going to come down to treating patients and preventing their disease um, to make and uh, getting the value from the healthcare delivery system that's going to take the cost out. Wow! So, so lots of lots of change and. Uh, you're you're an, you're a leader that wasn't afraid of change and took your organization through a lot of change over the last 15 years, um, 14, 15 years. My guess is they'll, if anything, there'll be even more change over the next 14 or 15 years. So uh, your predecessors have big shoes to fill. Uh, just one one uh, one last uh, last question, and um, and you know as you think back on. Your tenure as CEO of the clinic and everything uh, that happened. Um, uh, two things: what what was your what was your favorite moment as as CEO, uh, and then secondly, what accomplishment uh, are you most proud of of that you were able to get done as you were CEO? So, favorite moment and biggest accomplishment as Cleveland Clinic CEO. Well, <clears throat> a favorite moment. I had so many of them. That it's hard to pick out a really great one. I mean, I was it was such a privilege to. Uh, to be uh, that in that position, but I'll tell you very clearly, the thing that I'm the proudest of is the people of the organization. Um, they do everything to make it happen, and if you allow good people the opportunity to perform and support them, it's amazing what they can accomplish. And I'm incredibly proud of what the group accomplished. Well, it it, uh, it takes a village and sometimes an army and. Uh, uh, of course, you need leadership too. So we've had the great privilege of talking with uh, Dr. Uh, Toby Cosgrove, the former CEO of the Cleveland Clinic, uh, a visionary in his time and a visionary, continuing visionary as he laid out a very exciting, perhaps turbulent future for American healthcare, but one that ultimately comes back to patients and one where outcomes matter, customers count and, and value rules. Uh, uh, Dr. Cosgrove, Toby, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, good luck in your future endeavors and, uh, you know, keep slaying dragons. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. If you're frustrated with healthcare, if you want to understand how the system is reinventing itself through relentless bottom-up market-driven reform, please subscribe to our podcast at foresighthealth.com. Be a rebel with a cause. Help us fix American healthcare. Until next time, this is Dave Johnson.